Hey everyone, it's Chelsea Coons from Karen Disapproves. I am talking to Adrian from the Mama Bear Effect. She is educating parents everywhere about child sexual abuse prevention. Uh, we did record this live on Instagram, so there are some technical difficulties of it just trying to kick us off the platform time after time. So hopefully it is edited. I can't say that. Edited. Whoa. Anyway, hopefully it is nice and smooth for you to listen to. You're going to take away some amazing nuggets. That one conversation with her has opened my eyes, and I feel like my kids are safer just from the tidbits I got from this one conversation. I hope it is the same for you. Let's give it a listen. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened, but I swear there's like this adversary that's like, uh-uh, we're not protecting kids today. And we're like, yes, we are. <laughs> Go back to hell, Satan. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We don't have you? time. Good. Good. Everybody, oh this is Adrian from the Mamba Bear Effect. I'm so happy to have her on. I um, promise this won't we, be scary. Okay, yes, this won't be scary. And hopefully, like, like, let's all, like, say a little prayer. Heaven, we're trying to protect kids. Like, let this be a smooth stream. <laughs> Don't kick us off again. <sighs> okay. We all, I also have terrible Wi-Fi. Like, I don't know what's happening. So anyway, okay. So I, it's like late there, right? It's like almost 10 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. But my, my daughter had basketball till nine anyway. So thank you for excusing me from bedtime duty. <laughs> oh, you're well, I got excused from bedtime duty as well. So like the kids are still up. If it was up to me, they'd be in bed already. But like, they're up, but they're out of my hair, so I'm fine with it. I yeah. did go out there to check on them, and they were painting by themselves. They're three and five. Mm. So I don't know where the door dad went, but they're painting by themselves. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Find yeah, out in so, about an hour. Yeah. So I want, I would love for you to, so for those who don't know, the Mama Bear Effect, um, you started this because you wanted to help raise awareness and educate parents on child sexual abuse and how to prevent it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of mind blowing to really understand that this isn't just like some bad thing that happens in isolated cases. This is an epidemic and we have like 25% of all women and 16% of all men as survivors. I mean, this is crazy. So when you think about how many children that affects and yet, the awareness from society is so little. There's just so much taboo. There's so much willful blindness. There's so much naivety and just, just people are afraid. And so when we're afraid, our kids are the ones that, you know, children are the ones that pay the price. So I, I know you're saying, you know, you, you are a mama bear. And so many of us feel like we are mama bears for kids because we know how innocent they are and we want to protect them. And so if we're willing to do so many things for kids, then we can do this too. Because if, yeah. if we can't, what does that say about us, right? Sure. And I think like, for me, what got me really passionate about it is becoming a mom, seeing my kids get older, you know, there was like things that came out in like, you know, my own family, my extended family about a family member. And it just blew my mind how people knew about it. Adults knew, but were not protecting their kids. And it's like, it's a cycle, right? Like abused mm -hmm. people can, it can lead to them abusing others. I'm not gonna say all at all. Like I'm not saying I'm gonna say that, right. but it's like, it can be a cycle. And at some point that cycle has to break and that cycle has to end. And it's up to us parents to protect our children. So when things kind of came to light, I got really pissed off because this person that I wanted to like wring his neck is dead. There's nothing I can do, but there is something I can do with that knowledge of it that adults protected him. And as an adult, as a mom, I can protect my own children. You can protect your children. And I, what you're doing is so important because you're teaching parents and adults that it starts with them being knowledgeable and protecting. And anyway, I made notes. I hope this phone doesn't die. Um, I was, I realized, but anyway, all my notes are on here. <laughs> so, so how did you, how did you first get started?
started with it? Well, I, um, I came across like a news story about this child pornography ring being busted. And that just kind of threw me down the rabbit hole. And that was when um, I kind of had that moment of, do I do something about this issue? Or do I just kind of move on and, you know, carry on with my life? And for me personally, I always felt like I was looking for my mission and purpose in life. And I have a history of child sexual abuse. We, it's, we have generational cycles of sexual abuse in our family. Um, and even in the work that I've done, I've found out that more people in my family have been sexually abused. So, it, and it was just one of those things. It had affected so many of us, but no one was talking about it. Um, and so and I just- why? Well, do you think it's to keep the peace? What, why are people talking about it? Is it uncomfortable? It, Is it- it's such a disturbing thing to think that pe that people do to children that people just like, they just don't want to hear about it. They just can't, they can't fathom it. And so they just kind of shut off. And I think we all do that to a certain degree. Um, so, you know, when I was, I, I have a background in business. I went to business school, I'm in marketing and a lot of the organizations out there kind of had this message of like fear. It's like the kid with the hand over the mouth and these scary images and yeah, they're trying to wake people up, but when it's such a crazy, sensitive issue, people oftentimes shut down. Yeah. And so shut down, they don't want to learn. There's this kind of like a cycle of willful blindness where we put up walls to protect ourselves because we want to feel safe. We don't want to feel vulnerable. That's not a very comfortable feeling, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't want to think someone in our family could be a sexual abuser. No. And right. so change the way people saw this issue and so I came up with the mama bear effect because I want to empower people and really encourage them and give them strength I love that you're saying like you could have either been like okay this is kind of how life is and carried on or you could do something about it I feel very similarly recently where I've had people mention things like just like be at peace there's nothing you can do about it now like don't ruminate on this. Like, don't like, like I've had things said to me and I'm like, no children for the love of God. Okay. This is why they need to be in bed. <laughs> Do you hear them pounding on my bedroom door? Where are you at dad? Where are you at? <laughs> but that was, it's like a similar thing where it's like, I could sit back and you're right. I could just carry on my life peacefully. And I do sleep at night because I feel like I am protecting my kids and I, I have a good life, but I do know there's a lot of people and there's a lot of victims that need help having a voice and being heard. And there's information that needs to be had and people who are willing to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to like roll over. I'm not going to sweep this under the rug. Like we can do things to prevent it. And I think it's different from having a chip on your shoulder or being bitter or like holding resentment. But those were like some things that had been said to me after like I, I was bringing this to light on my page. And I'm like, this is not the same. There's like nothing here for me to make peace with because this isn't my story, but this is so many people's story. And I am not going to be just like, watch this uh, like from the safety of my home and, and like just sleep at night and ignore it and like, I need to be proactive. And I love that that's what you're doing because there needs to be more people who are saying, we're not sweeping this under the rug. We're going to talk about it, which is why I love your book, by the way. Check oh. this out, guys. Uh, I posted about it. It's My Body is Special and Private. I actually, speaking of talking about it, I was talking about, I read this to my kids. I was talking about it with my kids. And it was like a very, very good conversation starter. And it didn't feel taboo while we were talking about it. It felt like, oh, this is, this is natural. Like this mm -hmm. is something that we, we should be talking about. But anyway, it just made like a really just like easy way to do that. Sorry, I'm doing too much. I'm doing too much talking. I have another question. <laughs> so who do you find it uh, perpetrates? Like who, who are we finding are, are more likely to abuse? Well, you know, a long time ago when they first kind of discovered this issue, they knew that the vast majority of perpetrators were people known by the child, but they really didn't want to say it. And so they kind of really? pushed that whole... Wow. I was reading research papers where it was, there was hesitation 
to educate children and families about this because it was so taboo. They were afraid they were going to scare people off. And so they really went down the stranger danger route of, you know, don't, if anyone touches you, they kind of like blanketed it rather than saying, even if your dad touches you, or even if your sibling touches you, or even if your coach or a police officer, no one has a right to touch you that way. They were afraid to say it. But nobody so, wants to say oh. it, and nobody like wants to think that that is a possibility. You yeah. know, it's 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 like a it's a very icky feeling to even say it out loud. It's like, you know, <laughs> we have to like lean in to that yeah. discomfort. It's so uncomfortable, but I think the more we do it, we get into the practice of it, and you know, and like. If someone meets me and they're like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I, I run a nonprofit for child sexual abuse prevention. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, yeah, it's actually a really prevalent issue. And it's like, if we talk about it, then we can help educate people and keep people safe. So it's really great to like break the silence. You know what I mean? I kind of like turn that uh into like a, but guess what? There's amazing things we can do about it. Um, so but it's not this scary thing if you can kind of just address it and talk about it it's we we make it scary by not talking about it it becomes like this taboo scary issue and it's like we can talk about it then we can actually make it so this is preventable where we don't have to live in fear right i mean they say the vast majority of abuse is preventable because these are the people that we know and trust so that means we have resources and tools that we can use to to make our children safer so you know, a lot of it is family. It is yeah. parents. It is as much as 40% of child sexual abuse. And this, like, people need to, like, take a moment to really, like, let this sink in. Up to 40% of child sexual abuse is perpetrated by other children. Wow. It's really hard to realize that. But for me, I see that as a huge source of potential to make positive change because, these are not pedophiles necessarily. These are not sexual offenders in the making. A lot of these children, when they start perpetrating abuse, are beginning puberty. They're having their sexual awakening and they don't know what to do about it. And they may see a sibling as kind of the scapegoat to, to experiment and, you know, whatever it is. And a lot of these kids also may have mental health issues. They have compulsivity issues. So there are other things that go into it. And we have a whole section on our website about um, sexual behaviors in children, because I think parents sometimes, if you see something somewhat sexual going on between your kids, we might like freak out yeah. and we take that moment and we scare them and we, we've shamed them when really it wasn't like they were necessarily doing anything wrong, but they needed positive redirection. Absolutely. And then there'll be cases where kids have problematic behaviors and the parents are afraid of the shame and taboo of getting them the help. And so they don't. And then that situation, you know, perpetuates. Um, you know, that's interesting that you say that, like, the, the puberty age, like, what, like 13, like 12, 13, 14, around there. Because I can think of instances of people that I know where that is where, like, the abuse happened with, a, like, a sibling or a friend was right around that age where maybe they didn't have the supervision or the redirection or they had some already some pre-existing mental health issues from maybe experiencing abuse themselves in the past. So that's, uh, that's really interesting. What are some red flags when it comes to family members, when it comes to friends that we can see, like that we, doesn't that necessarily mean that they're, they're uh, pedophiles, but maybe it means, but maybe it's like, okay, I should keep an eye on that, or I should maybe distance my child from this person. Right. I think it's important to like, look at situations and see how people interact with our kids. Do they, um, you know, give children healthy boundaries or, you know, if someone's touching kids a lot, if a child is always being picked up and tickled and this person just seems so eager to always be spending time with kids, that can be a really big red flag. You know, um, if you think about situations where children are vulnerable, they're using their Amber oh, alert. Sorry. Okay. Oh my gosh. Do we need to share that? Speaking, <laughs> speaking of children. No, I didn't read it. Okay. I will ask this. I swear. I'm not um, I can't see anybody. You know what I mean? Like situations where they're like you, like taking a bath or you're, they're changing their clothes or they're sleeping. And if, if there are situations where someone may be coming into those, you know, very private circumstances, 
things can happen. But a lot of times it's a gradual process of grooming and perpetrators can be so savvy. They kind of like put their abusive behaviors in a box in their head. And when they're with a child and they're perpetrating abuse, they behave one way. And then when that's over, they put it back in the box and they can act like a completely normal parent, friend, whatever it is. So for me, I think the focus for adult education, it, red flags are important, but I think the most important thing that so many parents don't want to do is they don't want to talk about sexual abuse with other adults. So say, for example, you know, my, my sister comes home and she has a new boyfriend and, you know, and he's going to be spending time with my family and this and that. It's like, how do I educate this person that we're a body safety family? You know what I mean? Or say, for example, I have a new babysitter. How do I have a conversation with her? So it's like, we have to find ways to have those conversations because ultimately the more people that are educated in body safety and are proactive in empowering kids, the safer they are. But if we have someone who's a potential perpetrator, they're looking for easy targets. Um, for the most part, they're not looking, they don't necessarily target in on a child because that's the child they see as a victim. They target a family. They target a situation. They see weaknesses in our relationship with our kid. They see weaknesses in our, our interest in protecting our kids. So if we say, oh, by the way, I would like to let you know. And, you know, we have this um, body safety rules magnet that so many people, like we put it on the fridge because then if someone comes over to the house, they see it, it's there. I've had people put it on their front door. <laughs> I actually, okay, so, so I was going through it and let's, hey, where's it at? Well, you have it. Did so, you get one? Yes, you, you sent me one. And okay, I, good. so I, I just moved to a new place and I need a sitter and I'm like, I, you know, I have a hard time, I have a hard time trusting people, right? And this is something I think about a lot because I do get kind of nervous, even back home in LA, I would get nervous about having these types of conversations with babysitters. I'm like, they're going to think I don't trust them. They're going to think I'm accusing them. They're, and so these things roll through my head where it can make me maybe not say as much as I might want to. I mean, not, there's never been any instances where I felt like I, needed to address something they did, but more like preventative stuff. Like these are our rules in this house or, you know, like that's always been something hard for me. And I feel like I'm a fairly outspoken person. So I can't imagine other people who might feel a little more timid or might have a harder time speaking up, how awkward that kind of conversation can be. So when I saw that this, okay guys, check out this magnet. So you can get this stuff on the Mama Bear website. Is that correct? Yeah. The Mama Bear Effect website. Okay, so this will come with like some of the packets that she sends out. Um, and it's it's the our body safety rules. And so I think like anytime the babysitter goes to get a bottle out of the fridge or goes, to, they're just kind of reminded like, oh, we give a shit about this stuff in this family. Like we don't turn a blind eye. It's just like a yeah. nice little reminder. <laughs> I think it's really important to like invite them to be on your side. Like, you know, I just want to let you know, we teach the kids body safety. So there are a few things I would love for you to do to help us with that because, you know, whether it's making sure kids give each other privacy or, you know, if, if one kid is doing something to another kid and they say no, the other person needs to stop, you know, because a lot of that stuff, kids are learning it between each other too. So it's not even just adults, it's with the kids too. So, I mean, sometimes for me, I just give them some information, say, hey, you know what? It's easy for me, right? Because I'm like, I run this organization, but anyone can say, I, I, I follow this organization, I support this organization, and I, try, I, I honestly try to share it with any new parent. Like if my kids want to have a play date with a new parent, I'm always like, here, you know, I want to share this with you because I would hate for something to happen to someone else's child. And I could have maybe helped prevent it, but I didn't because I was too nervous to have that conversation. So I kind of use that as my motivation every time. Because even for me, it doesn't get easier. It's still like an uncomfortable conversation because you never know how people are going to respond. Oh, oh yeah. Well, and, I, and I know such a variety of different moms, moms who are more laid back, moms who have very like strict rules about these things. And it is such a variety and it's hard, it's hard to know how to address, but I do like being able just to just kind of reference, 
Oh yeah, we, we actually follow um, something called body safety rules and we're just kind of following this program. Um, and so I have a conversation with every adult about this. Like, I, I don't know, maybe able, maybe that's kind of an easier way to bring it up with babysitters or bring it up with even teachers or like, I, I even cringe at saying that. And, but it's important to get used to saying like, no, this is a conversation that should feel comfortable. You know, for me, like you could even use like the news, like there's just so many stories out on the news and be like, oh my gosh, did you hear that story that was in the news? I'm so glad that we are teaching our kids about body safety because I really want to be prepared for the situation. I've learned that, you know, it's one in four girls and one in six boys that are affected by this. And I just, I can't believe that this isn't happening. And so many times when I've brought this up with people, someone always has a story. It's their story or it's someone else's story, or they were like on a jury for a case, whatever it was. There are so many people who were just like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for bringing this up because people just don't know where to get the information. And so if someone is just that voice to kind of introduce it to them, um, it can make a world of difference. And I know we had talked about, you know, the promo code. So I want to talk about that just real quick now for anyone in case they hop off. But so we want to donate our Rock the Talk parent packs, which is this folder here. And we have a bunch of information. You can order it on our website. The shipping is free. Um, the code is rock the talk all together. Um, and you can share it with your friends. So that's another way to, you know, start the conversation too. By the way, you can get one of these for free through the nonprofit organization that, you know, because our mission is prevention. We want to save as many families from this horror as we can. Um, because that's amazing that you guys are giving it away for free. Like that's amazing. Like there's no reason that every every household shouldn't have these materials. That's, that's really, really cool. I'll put it up in my, my stories as well. And I'll put all the, the details in there also. But yeah, I went through it because I know you were like, okay, yeah, there's a packet. And I was like, oh, well, you know, to me, I think of like, kind of like, like way too much information where it's like a fire hose, you know, when I think mm -hmm. of a packet. But it's like a really easy to digest packet. The way you've done it, you even have like these little, um, like super like kid friendly comic book style uh body rule you know uh posters and i mean and you have magnets which is so simple just like a very simple reminder you do have more stuff that you can get a little denser on on here which is like people who want to like take the time and look through more material but you have the bot my body special and private book and you have like there's a ton of materials there's just like there's stickers there's there's bookmarks with just like the simple body body rules on it. So there's a lot of stuff in here where it feels like it can just be like, it doesn't have to be complicated. Right. It can just be like simple talking points that parents should bring up with kids, parents should be aware about, aware of. So I wanted to ask you, so I'm going to put that on my, um, I'm going to story that for sure. And then also y'all should go and get the board book. <clears throat> This is what I use with my kids, and they've already been like, as you can see, our, they've been using it and reading it. We've only had it for a couple of days, and we read it like through like three times. So <laughs> obviously, this subject's important to me. Um, and then, oh, I wanted to ask you, so what are the body rules? So if you look on there, like the magnet, um, this is the first tip that we can really share in terms of empowering kids. Like, where do we start, you know? We can start when they're babies because we can start teaching them the correct words for their genitalia. Um, a lot of times for kids, when they don't disclose abuse, some of it has to do with shame. It's a, there's this culture of shame and depending on, you know, your ethnicity and your family background and what you were taught, there is this level of discomfort and shame about using the proper words. So for us, if we didn't grow up using them, if you have a baby, it's the perfect time to, to start using it because they don't know what you're saying anyway. So it's like, it's kind of like you just say the word so many times, it doesn't even sound like a word anymore. I um, never, I've never used the word scrotum with, <laughs> with my son. <laughs> and I did. When I read the book to him, I was like, okay, this is going to become easier and easier to roll off my tongue. <laughs> I know, and I know. Vulva, it's... Like, <laughs> all well, you know, all right. Like the craziest thing, like I didn't know what the vulva was until like 10 years ago, you know? Like I was always taught that was my vagina. 
And then like I heard the word and I was like, what's the vulva? I had to look it up because I didn't know because, you know, and then it's like now I know that's not even your vagina. The vagina is inside of your body. Like you can't see your vagina, you know? <laughs> and we, um, I still say it. I still use that term to my kids and I'm like, well, it's, it seems like the right term. Maybe I need to be more educated myself. <laughs> I know. My, my kids can correct you, but it's like, but so when, when they use the proper terms and then like, you know, they will, they'll be saying it like everywhere, but that's okay. We can all like laugh about it. But you know, like if something did happen and this is the number one thing, like child advocacy centers and the police will say is that when a child has not been taught the right words, it makes their case much more difficult. And they've also had instances where children, because they weren't taught the right words, they attempted to make a disclosure and the person who was receiving that disclosure did not realize what the child was talking about. Like there was a situation where a, a girl was taught that her vulva was a cookie. And so she said, so-and-so did something to my cookie. And the person was like, well, just go get another cookie. And so here this child did the right thing. They said what they were supposed to say and the ball got dropped. Um, so uh, it's, it's so, you don't, you don't, you know what I mean? It's so hard. We don't want that. So it's such an easy thing to fix. Well, my son's been calling his scrotum, his udders. So like, like a cow's udders. <laughs> and I think my husband said it as a joke. And so now he refers to them as his udders, but now he'll be referring it to as his scrotum. And, <laughs> but that's good because I think anybody else who, I think he actually has referred to his udders like in front of my parents before. And he's used that word and they're like, <laughs> so I think this is good. It's good yeah. for me anyway. My right. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, that's so funny. But, but that's um, heartbreaking about that little girl. That's I know. And that's like, like one of like multiple stories where this kind of stuff has happened. So I've had people argue with me like, no, 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 those aren't polite words. And I'm like, they're just words. Mm -hmm. That's what they are. You know yeah. what I mean? So not let's not make it seem like it's a bad thing because that's just what they're called and um, kids don't even like if they're young enough and they haven't been taught to laugh at those words they my kids didn't even flinch when i was saying these right. words to them i was the one who's like right on the inside <laughs> you know like i was the one who was like so awkward about it I'm like this shouldn't be awkward i'm just gonna say it. i know <laughs> I feel like oh if you wait, if you wait, then it gets really awkward. But I mean, like, whatever it is, whatever you got to do, and you say, you know what, if they're older, you say, you know what, I am so sorry. I have, I, you know, I was never taught the right words when I was growing up. I want to teach you the right words because I've learned, you know what I mean? Because a lot of this kind of stuff, we're going to change the way that we parent our kids a little bit. And we might have to, you know, apologize for things that we've done or just, you know what I mean? change the rules a little bit, but you know, whatever we do, we, we do it to become better parents and raise stronger, healthier, more resilient kids. So that's the end goal. You know, that's, that's a really good point about the longer we wait, the more awkward that these conversations can be. And I think that's just a good thought in general, that the younger your kids are, they're used, they can get used to having these types of difficult conversations from a young age where they feel like from a young age, they can come to you and talk to you some, about something that awkward that happened at school or some weird interaction or something that's on their mind that, I don't know, in my generation might've seemed taboo to come and talk to my parents about. Or may right. talk about like a weird dream I had that made me feel funny or like, I don't know. Right. Just like Even be like a medical issue. Like I, I, I had a sibling who had like a, a polynidal cyst. And when you have that, like blood comes out of your anus and it's like, he was so afraid, but he couldn't talk about it. So it went on for so long. And it was very, like, it's very painful. Um, and it's like, oh my gosh, you feel so bad. Like you want to make sure your kids can talk about this kind of stuff because eventually when they go through puberty and everything, like that's just like a whole other world. Um, and we really don't want kids to like, that's such a sensitive, like insecure age for them. We want them to feel as supported as they can. Yeah, absolutely. So are there any other body when it comes to privacy? How do we, I, I grew up in a family where we were very open. Every, like there were nine, nine girls in my family and one boy. So it's a massive family. 
And I would have like three sisters in the bathroom. We would take baths together up until I don't even remember how old. I mean, I don't think we were teenagers, but like we were like fairly like probably like eight and nine, you know, the girls, like three of us would be in a bathtub at once because there's 10 kids. And right. or one would be on the toilet, one would be brushing their teeth, one would be flat ironing their hair. Like there was not a lot of privacy and we just very much got comfortable with just always like being naked. My brother, there was always a boundary with like my brother and my dad. And my mom was fairly private, but between the girls, it was always boobs and mm -hmm. and boobs I don't and vulvas, boobs and vulvas. Right, yeah, everywhere, <laughs> just everywhere. <laughs> Using correct terms. <laughs> <laughs> so I swear, yeah. you, uh, where do you like set a boundary with that? I, I because I was so free that way growing up. Like in a way, I'm like my son and my my daughter share a room and. Oh. My son shut the door the other day to get dressed. And I was like, oh, this is like kind of like a new phase where he's feeling like he wants more privacy. And I was just like, oh, this is kind of annoying because she also needs to get changed too. <laughs> so I, I want to respect like the privacy, but I also want to set up the proper boundaries where they feel like, no, not everyone has access to seeing my body. And there is like some kind of privacy that I'm allowed to have. Right. And I, and I think when they're young or if you have children of the same sex, you can kind of be a little bit more loosey goosey about it. But then, you know, and as you like, that's a great point that you made about your son, you know, closing the door because he wanted privacy. As our kids want privacy, we should, you know, re you know, respect it as much as we can. And then obviously, as they get older, like closer to puberty, it is going to become more of a, you know, we absolutely need to respect this, you know, your brother's older now, we need to give him privacy and he shouldn't be, you know, watching you take a shower or whatever. But I think the important thing too is like, there will be certain people that we want to make sure that those boundaries are set. So if it's a babysitter or we have extended family coming over, if they, have, if they go over to a friend's house for a play date, who are those people in that house and what kind of boundaries should they understand they should have with those people? Cause you know, you hear, we hear these stories about someone who they, maybe they had a stepfather or they had someone, you know, in their family circle. And they would be I like, heard this story oh. so much. It's always the stepdad. I swear, it's always the stepdad, guys. It's unfortunately, it's really common. And boyfriends, I'm sorry. We have to. Children are like 20 times more likely to experience sexual assault when they are living with their mother and a non biological romantic partner. So if it's a boyfriend or stepfather, that is a riskier situation and it's not it's me. that that is such a terrifying statistic but I have like from my own like just my own life people that I've known friends like where that type of abuse has been inflicted very often that's been the case it was like a boyfriend living at home or it was the stepdad but that it seems like often predators like you said they gravitate towards families not necessarily the child but it's the family dynamic. I know mom's going to be working full time. I'm going to have more access. I'm going to be working from home. I'm going to have more access to the child or, you know, so I have heard that story, unfortunately, like so often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like in situations like that, we have to be really vocal about the kind of boundaries we want and we have to be vocal with those people and we have to be vocal with our kids so that they understand because sometimes like it's not always going to be, really clear-cut violation right away it could be something little like sometimes like a predator could do something like an accidental slip of the hand and it's like oh sorry that was an accident but really they're testing the waters they're testing to see how that child's going to react they're testing to see if they would tell their parent and they're testing us to see are we going to say anything about it so one of the things i encourage all people to do especially if our kids have like spent time at a friend's house or if they spent time alone with anybody and just in general on occasion have like a body safety check-in just be like if especially if they spent time over a friend's house how did it go what did you guys do there did you do anything new there that we don't do at our house did you feel comfortable while we were there did you feel safe you know what i mean so that way it's not like this interrogation because obviously if a child has gone through something it's going to be, it's going to be likely weighing on them because if they're educated, then they, they know that it was wrong what happened. And yeah. so they're going to be struggling with emotions. So we want to make it just, we want to build up a relationship with our kids where they know 
that we're going to be cool with them, that we're not going to flip our lid and that we, we create opportunities for them to talk about these things. Cause ultimately I can almost guarantee every kid is probably going to go through some situation. It's not necessarily abusive, but it'll be inappropriate. Like one of my kids was at school and child was in the bathroom, pulled his pants down and was like, Hey, look at my penis. Yeah. Now it wasn't abusive, but it was inappropriate. So it's like, you want to address that because you don't want that kind of stuff to keep happening. And, mm -hmm. and God, and for the envelope too, because then next time it could be, even if, you know, maybe not that particular child, but like it just, be, it allows children to become more and more comfortable with that sort of behavior. Right. And, and, and like, if that child doesn't have a sense of healthy boundaries, someone else could perpetrate abuse against him because he's thinking, ha ha, my penis is really cool. And then someone else goes, yeah, let me show you what my penis, you know what I mean? You just mm -hmm. don't know what it's going to lead to. So I had to call the school in that instance. And I had a conversation with, with the principal and he called the family. I wasn't upset. I just wanted to let them know so that they could, you know, help lead them towards a better direction. Yeah. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, and the other thing is like, I, so I am now starting to get more like educated on this topic, but it's always something that I've been like really paranoid about and like careful with my children about. And so like with my kids, I have a hard time not asking leading questions, you know, for example, like if they back home in LA, when they'd have a sitter afterwards, I'd be like, okay, how to go with your sitter. Now, did your sitter touch your butt? Did she touch her? Like, did she show you, you know, I'd like ask these and then it would like turn into a joke for them and be like, yeah, mom, she touched my butt. And you know, and then it turned into this. And so then he would just say stuff because he would get some kind of reaction. Anyway, I don't know, maybe there's an age they don't do that. Like I have a hard time knowing like, when do I take something seriously? Cause my kids also kind of like mess with me, you know? And <laughs> so I think like what you're saying about like, not maybe not leading so much, uh, maybe, um, there's benefits to that. I don't know. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, and it's like, it's it, just kids and butts. I don't know what it is, but they just, it, it's like, somehow I like dodged the bullet for so long. And then somehow, cause I had a daughter first and then my son and I was like, we're fine. Like, this is great. And then like, I think around three, all of a sudden on his own, cause he didn't get it from anywhere else. It was like, butts were hilarious and they were slapping each other's butts yeah. all the time. Like, I'm the mama bear. You can't be slapping each other's butts. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I think there's like, a, it's good that you're educating us on like maybe the proper ways to stay or the proper, like the proper ways to speak to your child after maybe a babysitter leaves or, you know, just um, because I just feel so like I'm doing it wrong all the time. Where I'm like, I know I, I should like just check in with them. But then if I check in a little too much, then they just really get carried away with it. <laughs> so... <laughs> They're still very young, so it's like sometimes it's hard to like really grasp what what happened in the situation, you know. So, but as I think around like kindergarten, first grade, that's when they become much more, you know, they kind of figure things out. Yeah. Well, and also now that's the, he's in kindergarten, he's like asking for privacy and things, and mm -hmm. he's growing up. He's growing up. Um, what is the difference between good touches and bad touches? Like what? Right. And we and I, I sent you the message and we're going to talk about why we don't use those words anymore. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. all right. <laughs> That's, I wanted so to talk about how much I absorb online. <laughs> Shame on you. Okay. Um, tell me why we don't use those words. What words should we use? I know. So for a long time, that is what they were using. And you know, this, I mean, this whole movement to really protect children from sexual abuse is like only like 40 years old. It's a, it's a baby, you know, in the terms of social change. So they wanted to teach children, you know, about the difference between safe and unsafe touches, or I call them inappropriate or appropriate touches. And other people might use, um, I said safe, unsafe. Okay, not okay. So whatever kind of language. But so if you say to a child, a good touch is one that makes you happy and it's nice, like a hug. A hug is a good touch. But sometimes perpetrators use hugs as a means to groom a child. So a child might get a hug from someone they don't want, but they were taught that hugs were good. So they're going, okay, well, I have to take this because this is okay. I, I can't say no to this. Right. And hugs then, are okay touches. Yeah. 
Right. And okay touch would be a hug from someone you really want to be hugging. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and then when they were calling them bad touches, it was, it was one sending a, a message to kids that a bad touch was going to hurt. And this was my struggle in terms of my healing. And, and I almost like, I didn't want to start mama bear because I was going to have to face what I went through. And I was like, damn it. I don't want to face this every day and remind my whole family. You know what I mean? So it was like a bad touch oftentimes feels good. And perpetrators know that they use it against children because then it makes the child feel like they're an equal participant. Like, did you like that? Didn't that feel good to your body? And see, this is fun. So it's like, here kids are, and a lot of people are thinking a sexual assault is going to be this attack. Kids are going to be scared. They're going to run and yell no, and they're going to get out of there as soon as they can because it's going to be so scary. But it's like being in a pot of water and they turn, the wa they turn on the heat and it slowly gets hotter and hotter until you can't get out of that pot. And that's, and that's what we want to talk to kids about in terms of okay touches, not okay touches, that anytime someone's touching their private parts of their body or touching them in any way that makes them feel uncomfortable, that they can come and talk to us or talk to someone in their body safety circle, which is like people that they know understand body safety and are there to protect them um, so that they can kind of work it out. Because if someone is grooming a child for abuse, we don't want to wait for absolute evidence that that person had those intentions. We want to speak up before that happens, which is, it's, it's, it's a gray situation. It's not black and white. We got to do the best that we can do, but we also want to encourage children to talk about it you know, as much as they can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are some red flags that um, we can see in a child, like you said, before it gets too far? Mm -hmm. Or I think a lot of times, yeah, well, yeah, a lot of times it's not, it's, it's such, it, it's such a spectrum that you, it really depends on the child. So the, the best advice I can give for people is that you're looking for a change in their behavior because some children when they're experiencing abuse can act out and misbehave because they're struggling with the trauma and the anxiety and keeping it as a secret some children will act as angels because they're so afraid that someone's going to find out. They don't want anyone thinking that anything's wrong. So it's like, you can see how it just depends on the child, but you know, especially like for younger children, if you see them, you know, touching their genitalia and there's like obsessive behaviors involved, um, that might be something to look into because there's not always a lot of physical signs in a child. There can be regression. They start sucking their thumb. They start, um, you know, wetting the bed or they, you know, they're wetting their pants all the time. And that's a really common one with little kids in any kind of trauma or anxiety is that they kind of regress and, and turn back into more of like a baby or a toddler. Um, I can but, actually, like, as you're saying this from like victims that I known uh, that later came out about, I have seen these behaviors in them and it adds up. And as you're talking about, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember they went through this like weird thing where they like went back to sucking their thumb and then they started doing this weird thing or like where they started peeing the bed again and you know, just, and they're like 12. So right. that's, you, you put, you point that out. It's like, you can see it high and heights 20, you know, hindsight 2020, <laughs> but yeah, it's, right. um, yeah. And and I think one of the most overlooked ones, and, and this is where, you know, victim shaming and blaming really comes into play is some children, especially like girls, can become overly sexual. They become, they pr become promiscuous because one, they feel like they have no self-worth and that's all they're good for. Or two, it can be like they're trying to gain a sense of control in what's going on. I can't control how that person is sexually abusing me, but I can control my sexual relationships with other people. So when people look back and they say, well, that girl's a slut, that girl, she deserved it, this and that. When you look back and you learn the trauma that they went through, you have to understand what led them to that behavior. So when we have so many people in the world who are struggling with, you know, substance abuse and mental health issues, look back at why. Instead of saying, you know, what's wrong with you? 
what happened to that person to get them to that point, you know? So I think it's really okay. important that people ask questions in their head and do research rather than just put it out there of, well, she was asking for it anyway. Cause you, we, I still hear it. It's, it's so, it breaks my heart to yeah, know that they're- I have, I, ha I, I have a couple friends that when they went to their pastor for lack of better term and confided in them, one of the first questions was, so what were you doing to provoke it? Like what were right. you, it was like a girl who had been being abused for years. Like, what were you doing? Because it was clear that she would dress like immodestly or she would, she was had a little bit of a reputation, but it's like, well, where do you think that kind of got triggered from for one, right. you know? And, and that, that was like one, and that was a very easy way for people to dismiss her and dismiss exactly. her claims was like, well, you're kind of blaming a good man. This guy's a good yeah. guy. He's friendly. Yeah. He's like, everyone loves him. He's, you know, and, you know, he's spiritual, he reads his Bible, like, it, it, it was a lot of those things where it's like, yeah, it's the, it's the victim blaming, and I'm so glad we're in a generation where that's starting to uh, evolve and, like, starting to correct, but it, it still happens, like, it's still, an, it, or how about yeah. that, another term that um, I've heard as well, and even with, like, situations in like my own family where people say but okay but how bad was it what exactly did he do yeah but was, was there penetration though okay there right. wasn't so that doesn't sound like it was actually molestation you know like right. it it's that how far and actually I would act that's actually a question I have for you what line is there a line is that like what is the line where it's considered abuse I guess like okay there's like I don't know, like, I, I just want it to kind of be clear my yeah. own head and for other people where I've had people message me saying, I'm not really sure if this was abuse, but this happened to me when I was little and I felt very, very uncomfortable about it. Right. I think, um, well, especially if it's like between two children, generally there, there needs to be like an age difference of three years or more, or there needs to be like a power differential. One child is stronger than the other, or one child is, you know, um, more mature or especially for children um, with disabilities, they are extremely at high risk to experience. It's almost a guarantee that people with special, you know, um, um, disabilities will experience a sexual assault in their lifetime. Um, and that's another, another issue that people don't want to talk about. If anyone here uh, has a child who uh, has disabilities, there's an organization called Voices for Change. Nicole and I work together. We built a page on our website for parents of children with disabilities to help them with this issue. Um, but so anytime that the perpetrator is using that child for sexual purposes, so anytime it's an adult, um, you know, the age of consent is a hot mess in our country. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the state, like we're in Massachusetts, as long as you're 17, you can consent to have sex with an 80 year old. It doesn't yeah. matter how old the adult is. There's no, there's no, like, if you're 17, you can be in a relationship with a 19 year old or, you know what I mean? It's nothing like that. So every state's different. Um, and I think ultimately, if you feel that you are violated and you're not comfortable with it, then it might, it might've been a situation where that person didn't necessarily understand how you felt, but that's not necessarily your fault because Ultimately, we should be in sexual relationships with people where we absolutely feel that they are just as eager to be doing what we're doing as they, you know what I mean, as we are. So, you know, I think there's that age that I mean, especially this adult and child as well. It's like, I think that line is pretty, I think that line is pretty clear, you know, like it shouldn't, there shouldn't be any kind of like inappropriate touching or there shouldn't be any of that grooming. It's amazing to me going talking about grooming back to grooming again but you said they pick a family like that I feel like it starts with grooming the parents yes. gaining the parents trust being mm -hmm. that really really fun uncle that people want around that they'll go and send their kids off with on car rides or they'll go you know like it it starts like with grooming the parent in order for them to have access to groom that child I, I was telling you about the Michael Jackson documentary yeah. about his abuse victims coming out and that was it it was like 
they were so proud that they were associated with Michael Jackson and then they were buying him things and they were, they were bringing, he was bringing them on tour with them. And then, you know, their hotel rooms would slowly start getting further, further away from his and their son would be in there having a slumber party with him. Like, first off, what the actual hell? But, you know, it was, it, there was this like strong grooming of, he's just like a little child at heart. And, and yeah, yeah, they work, they work on the parents. Yeah, and I think I think the really interesting thing too is like they're not all pedophiles. They are not like born with this sexual attraction to children. For them, like a, the majority of them are not pedophiles. What happens is a lot of times it can be like it's like a mental issue. So say for example, someone has gone through a divorce and they lost their job and they feel hopeless and nothing is going right in their life they go to sex as a means of coping. And if there is a child that is accessible to them, then that is the route that they take. A lot of these people are not preferring children. They're choosing children because they have access to children and because it's just an easy situation where they can control them. Some people get a thrill out of controlling other people and using people. They get a thrill out of fooling parents and, and other adults, but it's, it's one of those things that's like, you could know someone your whole life, but if something happens in their life and in their mind, they don't have that moral compass that we have and they can kind of rationalize, well, they're, they're not going to remember what we're doing or I'm not really hurting them. So this isn't really abusive. You know what I mean? They come up with these thinking errors to convince themselves why it's okay. And so that's why I feel like even more we as adults have to be damn marching in the streets with signs and picketing everywhere because we want we should let people know all over the world that this is not okay because yeah. and yes that is abuse this is abuse like yeah stop justifying it this is abuse absolutely um and i know i, I i'll swear i'll let you go soon because i don't i know it's getting like that i just had a couple more questions and actually I, I had like sent you like a list of things i wanted to talk about and we're almost through it i didn't think that would happen but we are almost through it <laughs> um i i had a question about electronics in bedrooms like this is something i have witnessed with family members where they it became like a big issue with like porn and kids showing kids things, inappropriate things on phones or taking iPads to school. And it freaks me out. My kids are still fairly young, so I have more control over it. But right. as they get older, I'm like, Ugh. I know. What kind of phone should they have? Do they have a smartphone? It's, it, it's so hard because once they do have smart devices, it's not as much in our control. Well, we can control our kids. But we can't control what some kid shows them on the school bus or if they go over to their friend's house, what someone shows them on a device. It's so, it's just a moving target. Um, we just got a Wi-Fi mesh device and I connected it to my Wi-Fi and it allows me to manage all my kids' devices and limit what websites they can go on. So we had an issue a few weeks ago um, with Roblox, because my two older kids are 10 and 12. So especially with the pandemic, it was like, I want to be on Roblox. This is the only way I can hang out with my friends because I can't see them. And so I was like, okay, and it's been a fight. But all these social media games and, and apps, they do not care about the safety of children. They do not care. No matter what there's it is, it's, I'm, I'm so like, I don't want to like be like Debbie Downer, but it's really scary. Um, this issue is growing. I'm reading all these news articles about how all the reports of child sexual abuse material is increasing. Predators are um, blackmailing children to sending nude photos. But now what they're doing is they're blackmailing. I've, these I've had personal experiences with people that I know where that was happening to like, right. like 13, 14 right. year old people that I know. Awful. Now what they're doing is they're blackmailing kids to take pictures of their siblings. Oh. So now they're seeking out more victims and it's just, it's terrible. So of course we need to talk to our kids about this. If, if we as parents feel that our kids are old enough to be on a social media app or play a game, we have to talk to them about pornography. I pornography just 
child to have a Nokia phone, the only game they can play is Snake, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. We had, had to take Roblox away. Um, I just but Roblox, you can send pictures. So I'm not familiar yet. My kids, my oldest chat. The whole idea of Roblox is that you can chat with people, and there are some game servers in there that are sexual in nature. Um, so that was really upsetting. But so I, I, I've heard this from multiple people, you know, they make a friend in Roblox. And then if your child is on Snapchat or Discord or whatever it is, that's where they then connect with them and send pictures. And you can, we can't even know what their history is because it deletes them. So we have to really be sad. Snapchat is so like, like scary to me. I've heard so many stories of Snapchat where a lot of like sex trafficking can happen on that flat platform. Yeah. And it, it appeals to kids because of all the filters. It's so fun. Snapchat cannot, you can change parental settings on Snapchat. Your kid can go right in and turn them off. There's no way for you as a parent to change. Is that like a code? No. Oh, that's. It's, it's terrible. So. Maybe they'd lose too much business. <laughs> I know. I know. All so, the sex traffickers, what would they do if they put in a code? Because <laughs> they allowed a code for the parents. I know. Well, they just had an article that came out that Facebook has pro has profited from child sexual trafficking on their platform. Oh my god! Like, and I've okay. known this for ten years. I was I was reporting child pornography rings that were open on Facebook. They were posting pictures of children, and Facebook would not take them down. They would say, "Well, it's not a violation of our terms." And and the images were like, "Are you for real? Like, do you not see what this is?" Yeah. And child wasn't completely naked it didn't violate their terms oh that's so scary there was a there was a tiktok video of a trend i don't know a ton about it but i remember this went viral and probably a lot of people on here will remember but it was of like this he appeared to be maybe 18 this guy and there was a little like six-year-old and it was like it was like to a song he looked down her shirt then she looked down his pants then she and they just kind of go back and forth but it was almost like this dance they were doing yeah. and he got reported, he got taken down, but people were outraged of like, this is grooming. Yeah. <laughs> this is grooming. It's, it's disgusting. Like people, cause they just, they don't have, they're not using their brains. There's a lot of people out there that don't use their brains. So yeah. this is yeah. what we're, we're battling. That's it's absolutely. Um, but definitely parents need to do their research. Um, do your research and be very vocal with your kids. Um, because there's just so many other things. It also just, if they're on there and their friends are not sharing their location or their friends are taking pictures with their other friends, then they feel like they're missing out and they're not being included. There's, I'm glad we didn't have to grow up with that. I'll just say that. Absolutely. I have one last question for you and then, then you can go to sleep. Okay. I know it's late there. <laughs> You're like, all right. Like you were supposed to let me go for a minute. Um, uh, what? if you suspect abuse that's going on, how can you speak? How do you speak to your child about it? Like, how can you, uh, like, I am one to be so direct and blunt with people, but I just don't think that would be the way. I mean, obviously there's so many victims out there who don't want to come forward. And so I'm like, Hey, that's probably not the, the way you'd want to speak to a child who just experienced something traumatic. So how, like, what does the conversation happen? go how does that go down and then and what is the aftermath like then how do you address it like it's come out and then where do you go from there and that's my yeah. last question promise, promise. <laughs> so i think the most important thing is like you said we we can't lead them because we could actually ruin the whole investigation if we say did this happen we can ask open-ended questions can you tell me what happened did you did anything make you feel uncomfortable and i think um, we have to prepare for the fact that one, they might not tell us right away. They not, might not be ready to tell. And we have to kind of give them that space because if they're not ready to talk, it's really not going to go anywhere. Um, to get ready for them to potentially tell and then take it back saying, oh, you know what? It, that didn't really happen. I lied. It was a mistake. It was a dream because sometimes the consequences of telling are not very pleasant and they might want to just get all the trouble over with. And if, if I lie and I say this didn't happen, everything goes back to normal. And I'd rather have normal than go through what we're going through right now. Maybe so they're trying to prevent, protect the victim. Cause it's not, like you said, yeah. it's usually somebody that they know and they probably yeah. like love. Kids are really smart. They're not going to just tell you something bad happened because they know it's the right thing. 
it could break up a family. Their family could lose financial security. Um, you know, they, their parent, I, I, this is something I say to people all the time. And then someone actually just posted it on one of our TikTok, something that the reason they didn't tell was because their dad said, if someone ever did anything like that to you, I would kill them. And they said, I can't tell because if my dad kills this person, my dad's going to go to jail. So people have to remember kids are like, they're very intuitive. So it's like, as parents, that's not protecting our kids. Our kids need us. That's not necessarily going to make them feel better to beat the crap out of somebody. And then they go to jail and that person might not even go to jail. It might be there. Okay. Did we talk? Either we talk too much or they heard us mention uh, Facebook. No. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg was like that bitch again. <laughs> She's talking about me behind my back on my platform. <laughs> okay, we were we were so close to the finish line. I so know, close. I know. But okay. so if if you know if you suspect your child is experiencing something and you're not sure what it is, therapy is probably the best option because a therapist is a mandated reporter. And so their way of, of course, getting children to talk and their ability to file a report puts a lot of weight behind it. So that's really helpful because I think we have to realize is that when a child makes a disclosure, um, there's gonna be consequences. Um, you know, a lot of communities have child advocacy centers because a long time ago, if a child made a disclosure, they'd have to go to the police station. They'd have to disclose to a police officer and then they say, okay, well, now we're going to need you to talk to the detective, tell your story to the detective. And okay, now you're going to tell your story again. They'd have to tell their story over and over and over again. That's so now traumatic in itself, just having to relive it. Absolutely. And so now, so, what is, now what is the, uh, now what, now what so do I have to do? Now it, just, it depends on what you're in, but a lot of communities have child advocacy centers. A lot of them are nonprofits. These people start them because they want to help children in these situations. So it's, it's like a house. They go in there, and it's generally like um, three visits. They kind of have one visit just for them to get used to the forensic interviewer, have conversation, make it nice and light. And there is a you know, one-way uh, mirror. So the detectives there, other people are there, and it's being recorded. So they're observing the interview so that the child doesn't have to be interviewed again. Um, and you know, the thing oh, is- good. So they kind of have everybody there watching yeah. that needs to be watching. And I'm sure there's the video, video, you know, filming that happens or just so mm -hmm. they don't have to continue to repeat themselves. Right, exactly. And then I, I the, the thing that's such a struggle is that from there you lose control because it depends on how the prosecutor wants to handle the case. Do they want to take it? Do they want to take those steps? And so you hear my heart breaks all the time when, you know, people will say, well, my child was four when she disclosed, they waited four years. And so now they're saying she's, she, it was too long ago. She doesn't remember. So there's just so many things that can happen that can impact getting justice. And so we kind of have to, except that justice isn't always going to happen. And right. if we can, the most important thing is to keep kids safe. And I, I do want to say this is that if the perpetrator is someone who has custody rights, it could be a father or it could be a mother or it could be a mother enabling a boyfriend or a stepfather to sexually abuse a child. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily go through the criminal system. It goes through child protective services and they have to validate the claim first before it goes to criminal justice. So I've heard so many stories where instead of it being a court case, it's a battle in family court. And now it's up to a family court judge to decide what is the destiny of that child. And I would be lying if I said that children were not being put into the custody of their abusers. Children are absolutely being awarded custody to the abuser. The oh abuser, they're savvy, especially if it's a father. He's savvy. He has money. All he has and he, to do he knows is, how to manipulate at that point. He's like a professional, professional yeah. manipulator. He'll be so cool and calm. And here is the mother. 
her, her brains are blowing out of her head because she's terrified yeah. of her child. She and she's probably me. like making like threats, like horrible threats to him as a nor right. probably a normal person would do. Like, you know, right. saying every right profane thing in the book about him and yeah. So it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And if, and you know, there's organizations that are looking to expose this kind of stuff. It's, it's a hot mess. So anything that we can do, oh. you know, talk about child sexual abuse before you get married, before you get pregnant, do whatever you can to have those conversations before, because sometimes we can't always protect children. I wish I had gone to law school because I would be out there fighting these cases left and right if I could. Um, because I just feel so powerless in these situations. And we have a lot of families too that come to us because they didn't get justice or maybe they got justice, but they, they want to be able to do something with their story and take control and get power back. And they do that by raising awareness. They'll, they'll yeah. attend an event, they'll set up a table, they'll just share prevention education in their community. And that way it's not just this terrible thing that happened to them. It's this terrible thing that happened to them that's happening to people all over the world, but now they're able to make a difference. Well, you are making a difference, Adrian. I'm so impressed. Like there's so many people listening and I'll, if I can figure out how to find like the first part that I just had to exit out of, but since Instagram kicked me off, <laughs> kicked us off, hopefully I can recover that and repost it. But what you're doing, like you were doing, you didn't need to go to law school. You are doing plenty of good right here. And just the awareness and the prevention part is like everything. It's like 90% what you're doing is right here. We could so prevent snapping in the first place. That would be amazing. Yeah. I seriously appreciate you coming on here and talking. You oh. have a promo code for everybody who wants to get this. You said they can get it free. Is there any like paying for shipping or anything? You have a bunch no. of Yeah, it's it's this rock the talk. Okay, that's it. Back. And we it's like a three it's three ninety nine. We cover the cost of the parent pack and the shipping. If you want to add on the magnet or you want to add on the book, you can add those on and it's it's actually discounted on the parent pack, so you'll pay a little bit more if you want those. But the parent pack is free. People can order it. They can share it with their friends. I don't care who you share it with. Let's just keep spreading the word yeah. and help people. And also, my body is special and private. So you can talk about, uh, it's a really easy conversation starter with your kid. It's a board book. It's very easy to digest. And it was really good for me and my kids. We've already gone through it a few times. Um, go get that on Amazon. I, I'll yep. post links in my story. I'm sure you'll do the same on your page, and I'm sure you have all the links on your page. And then rock the, what is it? Rock the talk. I want to say rock the vote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, Obama. Um, okay, <laughs> rock the talk, right? You got it? <laughs> okay, rock the talk. That's your code. You're going to get lots of material. And then also there is a fundraiser button on here, so... You can donate to this cause, donate to educating parents and preventing child sexual abuse. I honestly can't think of a better cause, something I'm super passionate about and clearly something you're passionate about. I'm so glad you started this organization and just, if nothing else, I have become way more educated on this conversation, but I know many, many people have as well. So I will continue sharing your stuff. I'll post a bunch of links on my story. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Any other? I just want to say thank you so much for taking this opportunity because obviously I'm not like the coolest Instagram page in the world. You know what I mean? Everyone's like, oh, let me follow. You're way cool, girl. You're way cool. <laughs> so, you know, everybody that followed, thank you so much for tuning in. If you follow our work, hit the like button. That helps us with exposure. So that's yes, really- Yes, yes. Everybody go to, go to her Instagram right now, the Mama Bear Effect, and follow her. Give her a follow and donate. Donate, donate to the charity. Thank you, Chelsea. Okay, I'll talk to you later. We're going to do this again. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>